Welcome to this exciting sermon from World Impact Community Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more sermons and resources, please do visit us at wscc.in. Praise the Lord. I'm excited for another year to have gone by. Many people live in regret. Uh, I believe we as the church of the living God must live in vision and in obedience to what God has called us for. I want us to turn our Bibles with us this morning to the book of Philippians. And we're going to read it from chapter 1 and verse 6. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. The Bible says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it, Until the day of Christ Jesus. He who began a good work in you will perfect it on the day of Christ Jesus. Every one of us, God has begun a work in your life and he is still working on you and on me. And God's plan for your life and my life is not that he can leave us half done. God did not begin the work on your life so that he can leave you imperfected. God never begins anything in your life and my life so that he can leave us halfway, unfinished, unworked on. That God has had a plan for us, but God didn't take us on the whole journey. If you look at, uh, in verse 12 of chapter 3, Apostle Paul goes on to say something very powerful in chapter 3 in verse 12. He goes on to say like this, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Everybody say, lay hold of. You see, of your life and my life, you are not an ordinary life. You have been Laid a hold of by God. God has taken a hold of you and taken a hold of me. You and I are born again today because God took a hold of you. Hallelujah. You are not an ordinary person. You and I are born again because God not only called you by name, but the Bible says that he took a hold of you. His plan for you is that he who began a good work in your life, Come on, look at your neighbor and say, I am a good work of God. Come on. Amen. You are God's good work. You're not a perfect work, but you're a good work. Amen. Sometimes we, you know, we, we're, we're, we're disappointed that we're not perfect. Or we're disappointed that our friends or our partners or our teammates or our spouses are not perfect. Now that, but Paul goes on to say, not that I've already obtained it. As you're coming to the end of 2019, the last Sunday of 2019. Not that you have already obtained it or have already become perfect. Some of us are disappointed with others who are not perfect like we are perfect. Only to find out that they are disappointed with us because we ain't perfect like they are perfect. It's just the zone we looked at was different. 
So Paul, when you look at in Philippians chapter 1 onwards, he's going on to share this whole story and saying, he's saying, I want you to abound, I want you to grow, I want you to live in a particular way, I want you to you know, live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Paul in Philippians 1, he goes on in chapter verse 27, only conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Live in such a way that people will look at your life and say, that is worthy. Of the gospel for which God has called you. Only conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or I remain absent. I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. You know if Apostle Paul would write a letter to our church here today. I wonder what he would write. If Apostle Paul were to write a letter to you. I wonder what he would write. To you. What would be his recommendation to your life? About how you and I are spending our life. And what would be some of the things that we could fix. Or or change or build or add to our life in such a way. That we could bring great glory to his name. You see if he were to write a letter to your family. What would that letter sound like? Dear Pastor John. It's good to hear about you. I hear you're having some good church services going on Sunday. But he would probably go on to say that beyond the church service, beyond the, you are holy. You know, we just enjoyed singing, you are holy, right? You know what the word holy means? The word holy means to be set above. So when we say you are holy, to God, we are actually proclaiming His holiness, His kadosh to be set above when every day of your week you set Him above every other interest of yours. That's when God becomes holy to you and to me. Not when those right chords come holy. He becomes holy when in every decision on what what we plan for our children Becomes holy. The prayers we make for our family becomes holy. What we want to do with our life becomes holy. Set above every other plan. What we want to do with our money, our wealth becomes holy. You know, the Bible reminds us. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. And every young man that doesn't live every day of his life for God, for such a one, God's not holy. God's convenient. God's a blessing. But to make him holy, you will set him above. You'll say above everything else. Above every plan. And this is what God wants to do. You see, God wants you to know he's taken a hold of you. And Paul goes on to say, because God has taken hold of me, he wants me to conduct myself in such a way. And then you know Philippians 2, he says, even though he was God, he humbled himself and he died on the cross. Therefore, God has given him a name that is above every name. That is the name of Jesus. Do you know how the name of Jesus became an exalted name? Because he humbled himself. Which was that? That was a manner of life. And Paul goes on to say, live like we live. Learn from us. 
Let our obedience become a pattern. I don't know why this is coming back to my heart. If Paul were to write a letter to you, what would that letter be? To my dear church at TC 34 bar 7. Perukada. <laughs> or wherever God would write. What, what would that letter be? What would be that letter by a leader who was burning for God? This apostle Paul goes on after chapter 2, after talking about how Jesus humbled himself. And how now he was serving God and Timothy was faithfully standing with him. And and he says, I'm looking forward. You know, I want to go and be with God. But for your sakes, I have to stay back. And then he goes on in chapter 3. And he goes on to tell everything I considered gain. I consider now loss for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He goes on to say, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was the tribe of Benjamin. You know, concerning the law, blameless. All of that. And then he comes on, he comes on in verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained it. Or have I already become perfect? You see, he's saying, but I do something. He said, God wants to make me perfect. I am on that journey for perfection. But I have not yet come there. But until I come there, I am going to press on. Everybody say, press on. You see, what is press on? That's the effort you and I have to put in. Paul is saying, I am not going to live an effortless life. Paul is saying, I'm going to live a life of effort, of purposefulness, of perseverance, on focus, of rebooting what we have done so far. If I have lost track, I'm going to re- come right back on track. If I've lost focus, I'm going to come right back on focus. What was he doing? Because I want to take a hold. It's the image of Jesus took a hold of us. And Paul is saying, because Jesus has taken a hold of us, I want to take a hold now back. I want to hold back the, the arm of the Lord because he took a hold of me. You've been taken hold of by God. He's not taken hold of you without a specific purpose. He's taken a hold of you with a, with a very specific purpose on your life. And with that purpose on your life, he has a, he's planned out a designated assignment. And he's asking you today, do you want to? Paul is asking you today, do you want to take a hold of that for which Christ took a hold of you? So if so, here's the question. Do you know what Christ has taken a hold of you for? Or can I ask you a more real question? Has he taken a hold of you? Has God got you in his grip? Has he taken a hold of you for something? Are you keenly aware of what God has taken a hold of you for? For these years that are going by, you know, 2019 is just the other day we started and and now we are at the end of it. I'm excited. I'm actually excited. I'm excited for every year that's coming and going. Until those years stop, I'm excited. Amen. You know, you can only be excited when you know you are taking a hold of that for which Jesus took a hold of you. What did he take a hold of you for? What is his assignment? What is his plan? What is his purpose? What is his, des- what is his work that you need to finish before you are gone? Before you sign out? Hallelujah. You know, I am as excited about signing out as I am about signing in. That's what Apostle Paul was also saying. I long to go be with him. 
but for your sake. He says, I can't go until I finish what he took a hold of me for. Amen. What has he taken a hold of you for? What consumes your everyday? What consumes your mind? What consumes your thinking? What consumes your passion? What has he, has he got a hold of you? Has he got a hold of your, 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 your passions, your imaginations? Has he go, got a hold of your days? Has he, got a, has he got a hold of your childhood? Has he got a hold of your youth? Has he got a hold of your, of your young adult life? Has he got a hold of your retirement? What has God got a hold of you for? I was looking back the other day and I was thinking, I, I gave my life to the Lord when I was 16. There's something about that number 16. You know, many, many great men of God, something has happened to them at 16. I don't know why or how, but, you know, it's just good to be caught young by God. Because you have a whole lifetime ahead of you. Amen. Some people say, well, you know, I went to a church where I heard the gospel when I was young. So I really couldn't enjoy life. No, you haven't haven't missed anything. Because those who enjoyed it are sad they enjoyed that. And God took a hold of them later on in their 50s and their 60s. They say, why did we lose so many years? You see, when I I look at 16-year-olds, when I look at 19-year-olds, and I I look at them and I'm thinking in my heart, wow, whoa, at that age, Something happened to me. Salvation is so powerful that God takes a hold of you. He takes a hold of your, your lying down and your waking up. He takes a hold of what you're thinking about on your everyday. He takes a hold of your waking up. I was just talking to Pastor Jiju there. Pastor Jiju was saying, you know, Pastor John, he was saying, now waking up is becoming exciting. You're getting up with a skip in your beat. You're like, what, what has God taken a hold of my today for? Hallelujah. What has God taken a hold of my today for? What can I do today that God, that I couldn't do for God yesterday? And Paul is going on to say in chapter 3, verse 12, not that I've already obtained what? Obtained it. Obtained what? Obtained everything that Christ has done for me. Not that I've obtained it, but I have already, not that I've become perfect, but I press on. Everyone say, press on. Come on. Come on, what is, the, what is Paul saying? If he were to write a letter to you, he would say, press on. If he were to write a letter for us at the end of 2019, he would say, press on. Amen. You know, every, every man, woman of God, every leader doesn't mean any, doesn't matter what sphere of life you're in. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what you're doing with your life. If you are focused on something, if you're a leader in some place, if you're leading some organization, there comes a time from time to time where you have to hit the refresh button. So many things happen in your life. You've got to hit the refresh button. Take a moment, step back, and you've got to make the main thing the main thing. Amen. You've got to make the main thing what? The main thing. You've got to reboot and you've got to think, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know there are so many things happening, but what's the main thing? What has he taken a hold of me for? Because that's going to affect what I'm going to spend my days. Not that I've already obtained it, but I've become perfect. I press on in order that I may lay a hold of that for which Christ has laid a hold of me. 
Because life is going to throw everything at you. You know, life's like that. You know, many times people say, I came to Jesus and my problems didn't go. Hello? Jesus didn't promise you your problems will go. The believer who shared the gospel to you promised you. Not Jesus. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. And he said, cheer up. Because the ride's going to be interesting. He said, be of good cheer, because I'm on the boat with you. Amen. You see, I have given up desiring for a problem-free life. Are you listening to me carefully? I want you to listen to this carefully. Every time I hit a storm in my life, every time a problem comes in my life, and I'm thinking to myself, hey, wait a minute, it's okay. You know why? Because whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, we are all living in a stormy world. Amen. I'd rather be a believer in a storm than an unbeliever in a storm. At least I have the God of heaven on my side. Hallelujah. You know the difference between a believer and an unbeliever in a storm? A believer, you know, an unbeliever believes in his faith. He thinks, this is my faith. But in a storm, a believer holds on to the faith that God has given him. Hallelujah. There's something about a believer. He looks forward to something. What, is, what does the Bible say? Life's going to throw everything at you. And when life throws everything at you, you can have one of two mindsets. How many of you know in our time and age now, there are a lot of problems everywhere. On every side. People are going, whether you are a believer, whether whatever your faith background, whatever cultural background, there's a storm going on on every side. Everybody's having problems. And when everybody's having problems, the Bible says when you walk through the waters... I will be with you. Amen. You go through the fire. It will not scorch you. Oh, I like to go through the fire. God is with us. You know, when, when, when I go through a storm, I keep telling myself, God is with us. What can man do to us? Amen. Why? Because, because man is not even sure about his tomorrow. The Bible says he's like the flowers in the field. He's here today and he is... He's gone tomorrow. He's just gone. He can't even assure himself. You know, when, when we go to shop something, they'll say we have five years warranty. I said, how can you give five year warranty? Your life also doesn't have warranty. Where you'll give five year warranty for this? You won't exist five years to give warranty if I come back with a broken piece. The people, are, people don't understand. So what happens is that we have two responses. Either fear or we get into faith. Life throws things at you. And when life throws things at you, the emotion that comes in your heart, one emotion is one of fear. And people spend a lot of their life in fear. What if the markets crash? What if, you know, it's like the ruling is against what I want? What if, you know, there's no food on the table tomorrow? What if? What if this? What if that? And we spend so much of our years in fear. Because Goliaths bring fear in your life. That is how Goliaths are designed by the devil. To be taller, to be bigger, to be look smarter than you are. But I want you to know something. It does not matter how big they are and how mighty a champion they are. They haven't tried out the latest stone that was fashioned in the river by God. Amen. They haven't figured that out. 
Goliath was ready with the spear and the sword. He said, you're sending that dog against me. He looks at David. He says, you're sending that dog against me. I am going to kill him and I'm going to give his body to the birds. David went down to the stream. He was practicing with the plan of God for years in the wilderness. When he could have thought, daddy left me here with all these sheep. Uh, They don't love me. I'm the last one. Nobody cares for me. I'm all alone. They don't know what I'm going through. Oh, why? Oh, I'm good only for sheep. They're good for the army. Oh, yeah. Oh, big deal. You know what he did? He said, while the sheep are, you know, grazing and eating that, all that, I have time to write songs because God's planning to put it in the Bible. Amen. He understood something about God. He said, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, you know what he was doing? He was rehearsing his valley of shadow of death that Saul was going to go. He said, I am going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I am not planning to stop. Amen. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear what? I will fear what? Ah, You know what that means? I will fear nothing, which means no fear. Come on, shout it at me. No fear. Because God is near. Amen. That's what he said. I'll fear nothing because God is with me. God is with me. I will fear no evil. Because God is with me. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because God is with me. He was writing those songs. He could have been upset with his daddy. He could have been upset with his brothers. He could have been upset with, you know, the prophet who came and called everybody. And they didn't even call me. The prophet came home and they didn't call me. He could have been upset with his daddy who said, um, another son? Do we have another son? Darling, do we, do we have another one? You know, I'm getting old. Someone said, yeah, yeah, there's one more. Jesse, Jesse, there's one more. Oh, we had another one? What was his name? David, David, ah, David. The sheep, sheep David. Sheep David. Call a boy. And Samuel calls him and, and looks at David and, and God speaks to Samuel. He says, I don't look at stature or height. I don't look at military training. I don't look at how much Papa acknowledges somebody and Mommy acknowledges somebody else. I look at their heart. When God calls somebody, God will call you even if you are in no man's land. God will find you there. Amen. But what do you do in the meantime? Allow him to perfect you. Don't complain in that time. Don't waste your time saying I don't have the money or I don't have the, you know, the people or I don't have the contacts. No, you must not talk about who you don't have. Talk about who you do have. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear what? No evil because you are with me. Come on, say that from your heart. He is with me. Come on. Say that to yourself. I want you to say that God is with me. Come on. God is with me. Come on. God is with me. How about 2020? God is. How about your problems? How about your challengers? God is with. When you have nothing to look forward to. Hallelujah. I'd rather be alone with God. Than to have everybody and not have God on our side. What is God doing in the meantime? Perfecting us. He's perfecting us. He's fine-tuning us. Perfecting us. Hey, and Paul is saying, I know I've not become perfect. But I'm on the road. I'm God. He wants to perfect me. I want him to perfect me. I want to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took a hold of me. 
fear comes in. Goliath came, come and just scream and you're going to kill you and throw you through dogs, or through the animals, the birds they are going to eat you. David just sat there by the stream and picked up that stone and uh, he was practicing. All alone, morning to evening, practicing, practicing. You know why? Because those times when he was alone, no one to talk to, no one to work with, nobody to discuss great plans of everything to. He was scripting a story to be written in the word of God. Amen. I heard someone say like this, we are, we, we need, you know, God wants to work with Acts 29 generation. You know what is that? Acts 29, the Bible has Acts 28. We are Acts 29. We are the people that have to be scripting God's next move in your life. Hallelujah. Your life has to be Acts 29. And it's not the acts of the apostles. It's the acts of the Holy Spirit. He is still working. The apostles are gone. But the Holy You know how Acts 28, it, it just ends abruptly. And Paul kept preaching on and on and on and on and on and on. Acts 28. Why? Because God wanted to continue writing it. He's still writing the acts of the apostles today. He's writing it through your life and my life. Our lives whom God is perfecting. Amen. Hallelujah. He's perfecting us. So when, when, when Goliath brings fear, Jesus brings faith. When Goliath comes into your presence, fear sets into your heart. When a problem comes into your presence, fear comes into your heart. That is the right moment to call in a spirit of faith. The Bible says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear. But he's given us a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. So many times fear comes into our life and begins to get a grip. It destroys your tomorrow because you're living with your fears. What will happen to me? Nothing will happen to you. Nothing will happen to you other than what you fear. That's what Job said. Job said, what I feared has come upon me. Amen. If what I fear has the power to come upon me, then what I believe has the power to make me an overcomer. Hallelujah. If I can just believe the words of God, if I can believe what God has planned for me, so what do you do in this meantime? What do you do when life's throwing everything at you? What do you do in the meantime? Number one, get up. If life's knocked you down, you just need to get up from where you are. Every one of the great giants of God have been knocked down. You know, Jesus, you look in the Bible... When he, he walked by the, the man who was 38 years by the, by the pool of Bethesda, he goes there and he looks at the man and he says, uh, you know, uh, has nobody, you know, helped you into the water? He says, well, nobody's helped me into the water because, uh, because of that. Whenever the angel comes, you know the story, Jesus, last 38 years I've been here and nobody loves me and nobody cares. And I, you know, I waited and I looked for the Jews, they didn't help me. I looked for the Gentiles, they didn't help me. I looked for daddy, he didn't help me. I looked for mommy, he didn't help me. I looked for the government, they didn't help me. And I don't know why I'm still here 38 years. Jesus looked at him and says, get up. What did Jesus say? Get up. Get up, take up your mat and walk. Because the first thing God wants you to do when you begin to walk a life of faith is God wants you to get up from your situation. He is asking you, come on, what is he saying? Get up. When there was a man with a withered hand over there, he was there wondering, Yesterday he got a prophecy, he got a healing, he got a like Jesus looked at him and said, what do you have with that hand? Get up! Don't live like you're, you know, it's finished. It's not finished. 
It's not finished because God wants you to get up from your situation. What do you do when Goliath's screaming at you? Get up. Amen. David was just passing by and, and he saw this Goliath guy. It's been 40 days. Can you imagine? You know, every time I read for Samuel 17, it gets under my skin. Why? Because 40 days. His older brothers trained in the army under King Saul. The guys who know how to use the sword and the spear and all of that. For 40 days. They will come and they will take their battle stand. 40 days. I mean, come on generals. Does it take 40 days to figure out whether to attack or not? You know why they were taking their stand? 40 days they took their stand not in front of Goliath. They took their stand in front of their fear. 40 days. And Goliath will come 40 days. I believe Goliath was also afraid. Because 40 days he didn't attack. That's just my theory. Because if Goliath knew he'd win, he'd attack. Why didn't Goliath attack? Because he knew it takes more than one to destroy these guys. So that's why he was saying, send me one. He wasn't saying, send me the whole army. He said, send me one. Because he knew this battle can be won just one big boy with one small boy. You know what that tells me about the devil? He may be big and tall, but he's still looking for a boy to deal with. A little one. Send me one, he says. You know why? Because he knows the power of a church that comes together, believes together, stands together, prays together, fasts together. He knows there is great power in coming together. In a family that stands together, a family that believes together, prays together, trusts together, God knows that the exceedingly great power which is available to the church, if we believe. He says, get up and get forward. When Apostle Paul was, was knocked down by the Holy Ghost, you know, he was, he was ranting on his way to Damascus. He says, you just see what I'm going to do to the Christians on his way. While he was going, poof, he's on the ground. And he looks at him and says, who are you? So I'm Jesus of Nazareth. Hey, I'm Jesus of Nazareth whom you're persecuting. And he says, looks at Paul and says, get up from where you are. And go into the city because I'm going to show you what it means to suffer for my name. You know, while he's blind, God's telling him about his destiny. Some things you'll never understand unless you're knocked down. Some people hate a fight. They hate a fight. You See, if you hate a fight, you will never know what it means to taste success. You will never have victory unless you've had a fight. You'll never know what it means to overcome unless there's a challenge against you. Amen. How many want to be overcomers? Amen. How many of you have tested, tasted overcoming? You, you've overcome in some of the other situation of your life. Didn't that taste good? Wasn't that good? That's because you are an overcomer. And how did you find that out unless the devil stood up against you? You'll never find that out. You'll never know what it means to be an overcomer. Unless they throw it against you. I was sharing a story about years ago, you know. Years ago, we wanted to do this gospel crusade in the city. And and I was a young boy. I would have been 19 or 20 years old with no money. And we broke and a whole bunch of young people. But we had a word from God. So we got together and we figured out this way how we wanted to call the city leaders together to do this gospel crusade in the city. And I'm talking about, you know, 20, 25, 25 years ago. 
And we were planning and we were praying and over that, more than 25 years ago. uh, We were planning and praying and we were preparing and getting ready for for, for this gospel crusade. And I figured out a way how to get the city leaders together. You You know what it feels like? 